Broome County, New York is considered the carousel capital of the world. I grew up in one of the triple cities, Endicott, Johnson City, and Binghamton. And a few blocks from my house, there was a carousel that was free for us to go on. Every time my parents would take me to this carousel, I would hear the story of George F. Johnson. He built six carousels in Broome County, and his intention was that they would always be free. And even today, they're free. You could say this, the carousels tell the story of George F. Johnson's generosity. Today, the main point of our message is this, is the gospel tells the story of Jesus's generosity. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. And in this passage, he's telling the Corinthians church that Jesus is the embodiment of generosity. As we read this verse too, this verse essentially sums up the whole story of the Bible. So when we talk about the word gospel, what we mean is this. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ to be believed. And as we think about generosity in this message, and especially in this passage, we think mainly of what Jesus has done for us. So let's take a look at this verse together. Verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The gospel is the story of generosity. As we read this verse, this verse has a connection to another familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. If you go to basketball games or watch a football game on TV or a big event, sometimes you'll be, see a big sign that says John 3, 16. And that verse says this, for God so loved the world, he gave, he gave. As you read the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, you can see this theme of generosity. In Genesis, the fact that God, who had everything he needed, created human beings is his generosity. He wanted to share his love and his care. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God chooses a people that he can respond to in grace. He provides for them. He lavishes on them. And all throughout this story, God is with them and giving to them. But then probably the biggest step of generosity, as we begin the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God gives himself. And as 2 Corinthians says, Jesus steps from the riches of heaven to real life with us. He gives his own life. Throughout the Bible, though, what we see is human beings don't feel God's generosity. We're tempted to doubt it. We ask questions like, does God really love us? Does God really care for us? Will God provide for me if I need it? And there's probably been no other time than now that we've asked those questions in the midst of the lockdown of the coronavirus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 gives us this beautiful picture of God's generosity. And there's two thoughts to help us understand in this very difficult season how God has been generous to us. And the first point is this. Generosity cost Jesus everything. As I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about my parents. When I was a kid, they spent a lot of money on taking me out to eat, 
They paid for me to go to soccer and basketball camps. They paid for new clothes. They paid for me to go to school. They paid for all these things. And as a kid, I had no idea how much that that cost. Now, as a parent myself, I have a little bit more of an idea of how much they paid. I think about this too. During the coronavirus, we throw out numbers like millions and billions and trillions. And we know it's going to affect us, but we have no idea how much it costs. And I think about this passage. We talk about the cost of Jesus, but how much did it really cost? In 2 Corinthians 8, it talks about this. It says that Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to become poor. Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, also wrote a passage in Philippians. And Philippians says this, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He's talking about Jesus here. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. At church, you might have heard that Jesus paid everything, that it caught, his generosity cost everything. What does that mean? I think there's three things that this passage helps us understand in Philippians. The first thing is this, it cost Jesus his comfort. In verse six of Philippians, it says this, that he didn't consider his equality as an advantage. Jesus was the son of God. He left the riches of heaven and he came to earth as a baby. When he could have used his position and his power for his own comfort, he didn't. It cost him the ability to do necessarily to maybe enjoy a few things. He lived life in poverty. He lived life in pain. But what he did was he left his position in heaven and gave up his comfort. The next part is this, is that Jesus gave up his rights. In verse seven, it says, he took on the very nature of a servant. If we were reading this passage in the first century, we'd notice this, that, that the servants had one of the lowest positions in society. Mostly people told them what to do and they gave up certain rights. Jesus, in the way that he lived his life, gave up rights. And this comes countercultural to us as Americans. We, we think about our rights and we hold them tightly and we're not afraid for our right to protest, or our right to free speech. But what the Bible is saying here is that Jesus, in costing him everything, gave up his rights willingly. And lastly, from this passage, Jesus gave up his dignity. And in verse eight, it says this, that being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and he was obedient even till death on a cross. There's a verse in Isaiah that points to how Jesus looked, that he was rejected and he looked ugly and he looked terrible. He lost his dignity. Dying on the cross was not a wonderful way to go. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. The fact that people were put on a cross was to show that they were an example as a criminal. And Jesus obediently gives up his dignity. He gives up so that he can be humiliated. You know, as we hear this point, we might be wondering, 
why do we need to talk about Jesus' generosity costing him something? You know, what does that mean to us? Well, the generosity that it was to cost Jesus, it was about his love for us. He paid a price because he loved and cared for us, because you matter. Let me think about it this way. My daughter uh, and I and my wife, we were part of a program at Browncroft called Baby Dedications. We call it Baby D. Baby D is an opportunity for parents, small group leaders, and the core family in the church to come around a child and dedicate them to Jesus. My wife and I had the assignment of picking five words for Haley. One of the words that we picked was worth. And we intentionally picked that word worth because we know that someday Haley might not feel like she adds up. She might feel like a wallflower. She might feel like she's failed us. And we hope that she knows how much she's loved by us and that she's worth it. But even more importantly, we hope that she grows up knowing that her worth is not wrapped in what she's done. It's not wrapped in who she can become. It's wrapped in the fact of what Jesus has done for her. This passage is a beautiful picture of generosity. Jesus gives up the riches of heaven to become poor on earth so that we can experience his love. If Jesus had to pick five words for, me, for you, one of the words that he would pick is worth. And that seems so against where we are right now. In the coronavirus, we know people as numbers. Those that have the infection, those have passed away. We know the people as numbers too, by when we walk in the grocery store and we wait in line and it just seems like we're moving as cattle. And sometimes it can feel like, does anybody care about me? Does anybody love me? But what this passage is saying is this, is Jesus has infinitely and eternally loved and cared for you. He thought you were so worth it that he gave up everything from heaven. It cost him all of it so that you can experience life in him. So first of all, is this generosity costs Jesus everything? Secondly, generosity brings grace rather than guilt. Generosity brings grace rather than guilt. Look at the second part of this passage. It says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The grace in this passage is Jesus gives up position. It costs him everything. And he does all of this to make us rich spiritually. He extends his grace to us. You know, as we read this verse, sometimes growing up in Christianity and growing up in religion, it can seem that we motivate by guilt. So we say things to ourselves, I'm not doing enough. I don't have enough. I'm not producing enough. No one will ever love me. And we feel like we have to do more and more and more. And we've been told this lie in our society that we have to earn more. So we pad our resumes. We share pictures online. And the problem with that is this, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to make ourselves good enough. It's exhausting to try to make ourselves matter. But what Jesus is, 
is telling us, what Paul is writing to us in this passage is this, is that we have experienced the richness of God through his grace. Look with me at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in according with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. The generosity of grace doesn't tell us to do more. No, it tells us to receive. And in this Ephesians passage, it tells us that we've received three things. The first thing is this redemption. Before in Ephesians 1, what Paul says, who Paul also wrote 2 Corinthians, is he says this, you've been adopted. When we think of the word redemption, it means that Jesus paid a price for you. Those of you that have walked through adoption, you know this. It costs a lot of money in the thousands of dollars. It takes lots of time and paperwork. And in that picture, what Jesus says is, I've redeemed you. There was no price too high for me to buy you so that you could experience freedom. Later on in that verse, it says this, that Jesus forgave us. In the Bible, that has to do with debt. If you've ever had a loan and it's been forgiven, you know that the freedom that it feels. And in our sin and our shame and our guilt and our brokenness, what Jesus says to us is this, in the richness of his grace, we experience forgiveness. What was once counted to us as lost is now as gained, not from what we've done, but what God has done for us. And as Paul closes Ephesians in this verse, he says this, that he's lavished God's grace on us. Just like in 2 Corinthians, he said this, he's lavished his richness on us through his redemption, through his forgiveness, so that we can experience new life. Henry Nouwen is a famous Christian author. In 1983, he was traveling throughout South America and he came back to his home and he was exhausted and he was tired. And in a moment, he came across a picture by Rembrandt and it's called The The Return of the Prodigal Son. And he was about to walk by this picture when it caught his attention. In this picture, what he noticed was the light was shining directly on the father and the son. You can find the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. It goes like this. A son goes to his father and basically says, I want all my inheritance. I wanna wanna leave you as if you don't exist and go spend my money. And the son does. Soon his money runs out with party and lavish living. And he finds himself at a pigsty. And when he's at the pigsty, he ends up serving there. And he asks himself this question, it's better for me to be a servant with my father. So he comes to his senses and he walks home. And as he walks home, his father has been waiting for him every single day. And he runs to him and he has a speech set up and he says, father, I'm going to serve you. But his father says, you're my son. I love you you're not going to be my servant. 
And as now one is looking at the, the description of this picture, the light shining on the father, the fact that the father is hugging the son that looks dirty and decrepit from being with pigs, he says this. He says that he felt the love of the father in that moment, that we are that son, that we are that child coming home, and that God doesn't shame us, God doesn't guilt us, no, God comes near. Henry Nouwen in that book says this, truly accepting love and forgiveness and healing is much harder than receiving it. When I was a little kid and I would go on to the carousel, I didn't have these thoughts of maybe I should write a thank you note to the Johnson family. Maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't ride this carousel as much. You know, maybe I should donate for it to be free. But as a child, I think if George F. Johnson was alive today, he would say, the greatest thing you can do is experience the generosity and enjoy it. It's hard for us to receive. It's hard for us to realize that we have a need. It's much easier at times to give acceptance, forgiveness, and healing. But that's not what the gospel is inviting us to do. Jesus' generosity is this, he doesn't guilt us, he doesn't shame us. No, his love is very real. And he's saying this, you don't have to do anything else except receive my grace. In the second Corinthian passage, what it's saying to us today is this, in a time of scarcity, in a time of anxiety, in a time that you might doubt if you really matter, What it's saying is this, is God's generosity invites you to receive. The cost wasn't too high because Jesus loves you. His grace is not motivated out of guilt, but it's out of bringing you new life. I want to close by talking to two groups of people. The first group of people here that I want to talk with are those of you who may not know Jesus yet. Maybe as you listen to this passage, you're saying to yourself, this is a Jesus I never knew. And you're watching because during this crisis, during this time of anxiety, you've said to yourself, I've done everything I can. How in the world can I do anything else? And you're exhausted. And you're wondering if you can do more good. The invitation today, maybe it's time for you to receive the grace of Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's time for you to stop trying to earn God's love, to earn acceptance, to live by this world's standards, but to receive grace. If that's you today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to say a brief prayer with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me at this moment. You can say this, Jesus, I see the cost of what it was to receive your grace. And I want to experience your generosity. Please forgive me of my sins. And today, I receive your forgiveness and redemption. And I ask you to give me a new heart and a new life. Amen. If you said that prayer with me today, we believe this. We believe that you're part of God's family. We ask that you'd reach out to us. There's a chat. We want to know about it because we want to help you take next steps. 
Secondly, the people I want to talk to are, are those that are following Jesus right now. I think the lie of this message is to say that we've graduated in our understanding of grace. I can tell you personally, I struggle with thinking that I need to earn God's love and acceptance. And I try harder and I try harder and I get exhausted. And maybe for some of you during this time, you've believed the lie. God doesn't love me. God won't provide for me. And you want to trust him. What would it look like today for you to receive a fresh expression of grace? What would it look like for you today to see Jesus in a new way? I want to take a few moments to pray with you that you could receive that. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, I thank you for this opportunity to receive your grace. I pray for every person watching on screen today. Lord, I pray for the lies that they believe, that they don't have enough, they're not enough, that you won't provide, that you're not trustworthy. I pray that you'd replace them with the truth of the gospel, that you are a God of grace. You are a God that is here you are the God that forgives and redeems. I pray that every person hearing this message would find a fresh expression of your grace right now. Lord, we pray this all in your name, the resurrection and life. Amen.